Hey everybody, welcome to an episode of Digging Deeper with the Glendale Road Church of Christ. I'm Stephen Hunter, the minister of Glendale Road, and I want to welcome you. Uh, tonight, Wednesday, July the 12th, we're beginning a, a mini-study of Bible translations. And I, so I thought I'd go back and look at some of the earliest translations that existed, and then, you know, in time we'll get to our English translations and the translation philosophy behind uh, behind each of them. So, but let's go way back. For those who may not know, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and there are some portions that were written in Aramaic, uh, specifically in the book of Daniel and the book of Ezra. Now, the oldest copies of the Old Testament were discovered around the Dead Sea and are referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they date to the 3rd and 2nd centuries B.C. But before this discovery in the 20th century, the oldest copy of the Old, Tes Old Testament was a Masoretic text. And I'll explain what a Masoretic text is in a second. It was dated to A.D. 1008-1009. And that's referred to as the Leningrad Codex. Okay. Now, the more ancient language of Hebrew contained only consonants, but between the years 500 and 700, that is A.D., uh, Jewish scribes known as Masoretes, they produced copies of manuscripts where they added vowel markings in an effort to preserve pronunciation. So, whenever you read the Masoretic text or something along that line, you can think uh, 6th through the 8th centuries A.D., and the Masoretes were Jewish scribes. But the Leningrad Codex that dates to the early 11th century, that is the standard authoritative text that's used in synagogues and that's used by Catholics and Protestants as the source text for their Old Testament translations. So, that's kind of a primer on the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible it's often referred to as. The very first translation of the Bible appears in the 3rd century BC. You have 70 or 72 Hebrew scholars who translate the Old Testament into Greek. And they did this so that a copy of, this was actually ordered by uh, the king of Egypt, uh, Antiochus, and he wanted every major work translated to Greek. And a lot of these works occupied the library at Alexandria, Egypt. So a lot of you may know that the Alexandrian library was burned to the ground. So there are no telling what works are lost in history because of that. But anyway, that's, that's a huge, huge point in history. So the earliest translation of Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible into Greek, is called the Septuagint. Think about the first part, Septu, which is seven. You know, if someone is in their 70s, you say, that's a Septuagenarian. And most of you are going, no, I would just say they're in their 70s. And that, that's okay. Um, you may see a footnote in your Bible in the New Testament, uh, excuse me, the Old Testament, where it has capital L, capital X, capital X. That's the Roman numerals for 70, referring to the 70 who translated it. Now, here's the thing. We don't know what copies they translated from, but we do know that 
portions of it uh, include 2nd century BC fragments of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So the reason I state that is because the Septuagint has variants that differ from the Masoretic text. For example, let me read to you Jeremiah 27 verses 19 through 22. In the Septuagint, in English, it says, Even some of the remaining vessels, which the king of Babylon did not take when he exiled Jeconiah from Jerusalem, shall enter into Babylon, says the Lord. But now, in the Hebrew Bible, translated to English, And the rest of the vessels that are left in this city, which King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem, to Babylon, King Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall stay until the day when I give attention to them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place." So you probably notice that the Septuagint is a lot shorter than what the Hebrew Bible version is. Now a lot of times when people see these differences, they, they say, oh, the Bible has contradictions, you can't believe the Bible. Well, I don't look at it as contradictions, I look at it as variants. For example, let's say you and I were telling a story. I'm very much a get-to-the-point type of person. So I might tell the story and say, I went fishing today and I caught three largemouth bass. Someone else may tell the story. I went fishing earlier today and I had my rod and reel and I used a jig worm and was fishing in a cove and I caught one bass and then I went out to another cove where I caught two other bass. It's the same story. One just has more detail than the other. So I think of these differences a lot like how you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels because they contain a lot of similar material. And there are different variants. For example, um, what the story about Bartimaeus in Mark and Luke, when you compare that to the story in Matthew, Matthew doesn't name Bartimaeus. He just says two blind men. And so people see that and they go, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible. And he's like, well... Think of it this way. Maybe Matthew, because remember, Matthew was a disciple, uh, excuse me, an apostle of the Lord. As an apostle of the Lord, he was there on the ground when this happened. Now, Mark and Luke, Mark was a companion of Peter. Luke was a companion of Paul. So, Matthew may have written earlier, but maybe for Mark and Luke, maybe that Maybe one of the blind men had already passed away, but the only one that was left was Bartimaeus. Or maybe the audiences that would have received Mark and Luke knew who Bartimaeus was and wouldn't have known who the other guy was. So rather than seeing things as contradictions, see it as a variant. Because there are many variants between the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible. The Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church they used the Septuagint for their Old Testament. And the reason they do that is because it was, it was uh, regularly used by the early church. Now, the Septuagint was the basis for the Old Latin Bible, the Coptic 
translation, Coptic is essentially Egyptian, uh, the Ethiopic, the Armenian, the Georgian, the Slavonic, and part of the Arabic tra uh, translations. So the Septuagint had a very prominent standing in the time of Jesus and after. And there's a letter, I forget the name of the author, but he writes the story of the creation of the Septuagint. Many scholars believe it's more a fanciful tale than it is actually historical. Uh, but anyway, in that letter, uh, allegedly the 70, 72 Hebrew scribes were put in a room to themselves and were each to, say, for example, translate the book of Genesis. After everyone had finished, they all came together and they were all the same translations in Greek. And so they all believed that this was divinely appointed. So that was a belief in the first century B.C. and A.D. is that the Septuagint was divinely given. But anyway, we'll move on from there. So in the second century B.C., approximately 122, the Samaritan Pentateuch was, was uh, uh, formed. Now, you remember the Samaritans, right? They were the people, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, they believed only in the first five books of the Old Testament, which are called the five books of Moses or Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. Remember Pentagon, that five-sided uh, building in, in D.C. So the Pentateuch, when you think of that, think the first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses. So the Samaritans only acknowledge those books. They don't acknowledge anything beyond that. And that translation is in Samaritan Hebrew. Where you go, well, what's the difference between Samaritan Hebrew and what the Jews spoke? The Jews spoke a version or used the version of Hebrew that was Tiberian. That is, that was, uh, that was kind of shaped during the reign of Tiberius. I mean, so think about it like this. Some of you have the King James Bible that you read from. And some of you may have an English Standard Bible. Uh, it's the same language, but it's different. King James is written in Elizabethan English, whereas the English Standard Version is written more in modern parlance. So maybe that's the best way to think of Samaritan Hebrew versus Tiberian Hebrew. So we have variations from the Old Testament even in the Samaritan Pentateuch. For example, Acts chapter 7, verse 4, Stephen says that Abraham left Haran for Canaan after his father died. Now that agrees with the Samaritan Pentateuch. But the Masoretic text says that Abraham's father died 60 years after he had left in Genesis 11.32. So you see that Stephen was somewhat aware of the Samaritan Pentateuch. But also in the Septuagint and the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 7.14, Jacob had 75 descendants rather than the 70 found in the Hebrew Bible. A few years later, portions of scripture were translated into Aramaic since that was the most spoken language in Palestine. And that translation is called Targum, which means translation in English. So we keep moving along. The New Testament was written in Kine Greek. Kine is a word that means common. And that was written in the first century AD. Then in the second century, 
The Old Testament was translated into Syriac, spoken by Jews in northern Syria. And this version is called the Peshitta, which means simple. And if I'm mispronouncing that, please forgive me. Uh, later, Syriac Christians adopted it, and they added a Syriac version of the New Testament. So we keep in mind that there are variations, not contradictions, variations that exist that may have been relevant for the original recipients. But also we see that uh, scripture has been translated as far back as the 2nd, 3rd centuries B.C., now, in about the 5th or 6th century A.D., a fellow by the name of Jerome would use the Septuagint, uh, as well as, I believe, the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek manuscripts, and he would create what's called the Latin Vulgate. It's the Latin translation of Scripture that, from the point of his making it, that became the standard text in the Western Roman Catholic Church. And it wouldn't be until we're close to the Reformation that it would be translated from Latin, from Greek, from Hebrew, into German and eventually English. But we'll talk about the English translations next week. So I hope you all have a good week. I hope this has been informative. And I hope we see you sometime in the near future. God bless.